Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Great to see you. You can have a seat. If you don't know me, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. And whether you're joining us right here on campus or online, welcome to Sunridge. So glad that uh, you're part of our service today. Um, did you guys know that if you took the, uh, the books that have been produced on parenting over the last 21 years, and you divided them by the number of days in each year, there would have been 10 books produced every day in the last 21 years on parenting. That's a total of 75,000 books on parenting, which no wonder it's so easy to be a parent now. We know so much about it, right? You know, uh, who are the only experts on parenting? People without kids, thank you. We all love kids, right? And what do we want for our children? We want them to be happy, safe, comfortable, good citizens, educated, fulfilling their potential. And if you're a Christian, you want them to follow Jesus too. But what does God want? for our kids? What does he measure? And I think that you're going to be surprised at what the Bible does have to say to parents and to children, and you're going to be even more surprised by what is left out in the Bible when it comes to parenting. And there's a reason why I wanted uh, students from uh, middle school up to be sitting with their families today. Hopefully you're doing that. If you're not, then uh, I'll just figure something's going on, and um, we'll try to help you with those counseling opportunities. Um, So I wanted everybody here so I could talk about this one subject, about parenting and kids from the Bible, and yet be able to talk to the two groups that are represented here. I know we're all children. We all come from parents, essentially, but I want to talk to kids, and I want to talk to parents, but I'm going to talk to kids first because you have a shorter attention span, and uh, you're, you've been forced to be in here with uh, the old people. So I want to say to you that I'm, I'm really excited about this next generation of human beings, which is you, because you are the most educated, resourced, and healthy generation ever in history, and you're going to live longer and better than any other generation. And so that makes your potential greater than ever. But even though I believe that um, you have the greatest potential of any generation, I also believe that you face more challenges than any generation has ever faced in the past. I recently had um, an administrative educator tell me this story that an eighth grader shared with him. This eighth grader told him that growing up today is like walking in school down the hallway with doors on both sides. And at one time in the past, there was a door about every eight feet, and all the doors were closed, but they were labeled. 
So as you walk down the hallway, you could read what's on the door. And uh, you had people walking in the hallway, parents and others, that would tell you about what was in that door and explain so that you could choose well which doors to go through. But today, they said, it's more like the doors are spaced two feet apart, and all the doors are just open, and there's no label on them, and there's people inside inviting you to come in. So, and your life then is about exploring, going into these different doorways, into these different classrooms, and finding out what's going on in there with, with when you enter, no idea about the benefits or the dangers about being in there, and they have fewer people to guide them as they walk down the hallway. Isn't that, a, that's a great thought for an eighth grader. I'd like to help prepare you to walk down that hallway today. And what we say here today, uh, what we often say here is that the Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. But did you know that if you're a student or a child, um, the Bible has specific things to say to you. Not you personally, but to you as children and to parents. And of course, all the Bible principles that we learn from reading the Bible, the teachings of Jesus, they apply to all of us. But there are sections that specifically address children, even different ages of children. So if I go back to the image of that being, you're trying to be a person who is, is trying to grow up, do the right thing, do well, and be the best human you can, and follow Jesus, I want to help you with some of those choices that you have in life. And I hope you'll give me permission to do that. The first thing I want to tell you about the choices that you have to make in life is you should read Proverbs to become wise. Read Proverbs to become wise. To be wise means to, make, to have good judgment. And in the Old Testament, this book Proverbs is also called the book of wisdom. And it gives all kinds of wise advice about how to make decisions, the values we should possess, the specific challenges that we face as we mature and grow older. Proverbs will help you with how to make friends, in fact, about any relationship in general, about avoiding dangerous situations, about how to pick a spouse, about relationships in general, but also male-female relationships. It talks about how to stay out of trouble and to stay away from those who do uh, to get you in trouble. It talks to you about who to listen to and who not to listen to, about peer pressure, about being your own person about making good and wise career choices. And it's really remarkable when you think about it that this book was written literally thousands of years prior to our time, and yet so much of it still applies. When I was in high school and college, I've shared this story before, like Proverbs was my book. And I, I would, you know, my, someone in my past said, you know, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, read, read whatever the date is, read that chapter. And I started doing that, and throughout college I would do it, and I would memorize a verse a day. And uh, over time, I accumulated at least the, the mental wisdom. It didn't always translate, if we understand that. But like, I had so many things memorized out of Proverbs, and it literally, it literally helped me make day-to-day decisions. So the book of Proverbs is the book to read if you want to be wise about specific things. But the Apostle, in Apostle Paul's letters, you see a different approach. You see kind of like a general, one big idea concept. And it's like a superpower that we, we learn from Paul that will help you defeat 
the evil enemies of the world. Anybody Avenger fans here? Okay, for those that don't know, Avengers is a series of movies about all these superheroes taken from Marvel comic books, all of whom have a specific superpower they use to defeat those evil people and forces in the world. And you, you all know that there is an evil empire always waiting, hidden, to take us over, conspiring in secret to overcome the good in the world, and for that we need our superheroes. And in order to defeat those malevolence that are trying to overtake us, we have our favorite superheroes. Which, who's your favorite superhero? Captain America. Spider-Man, the Hulk, Thor, Captain Marvel. All of these superheroes have incredible, they have an incre incredible capability to overcome evil. That superpower they have, but it also has a coinciding weakness with it. So what if you could have a superpower that had no weakness to it? There is one. And it's the only thing that the New Testament says specifically to children. That's how powerful and influential it is. Are you ready for it? Okay, two of you are. <laughs> Here it is from the Apostle Paul in a, in a letter he wrote to a church in the first century. In Ephesians 6.1, he said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then, he said in verse 2, to honor your father and mother. And then to another church, around the same time, a little different part of the world, in Colossians 3.20, he said, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So what are the operative words here, or the key points? There are two operative words that are easy for us to mash together in one idea, but they but they, they don't mean the same thing. They're different concepts. One of them is to listen attentively with a view toward following instruction. That is to obey. That's the word obey. I know it's not a popular word today, but it basically means to take a subordinate view. That, like there's a ranking, and the senior officer makes decisions, or the coach tells the players what to do. The other word means to prize or place high value on or to show respect, and that's the word honor. Honor was very important in this culture in the first century, and it's still important. These words are the different parts of a common idea. One is an act, and one is an attitude. I think we know pretty much what it means to obey or to follow instructions. But let's talk about honor. What does that mean? How many of you are Lego fans? Any Lego people here? Okay. You know, you spend that week after Christmas building that giant project that you got on Christmas Day. By the way, the largest Lego set at the time of this writing, which I wrote, I wrote, started studying this message in February, this year is the Lego Art World Map. It has 11,695 pieces, just in case you were wondering. And that was over 2,000 more than the previous largest um, 
uh, kit, which was the Titanic. Only it is not the most expensive kit, by the way, parents. This is only $250 and is available on Amazon if you want to buy it for your kids. So I'm put a picture up for, of the kit, and I want you to see like how many pieces there are and how tiny they are, which doesn't sound attractive to me, but it does to others. And then there's another picture of this wonderful couple building a kit together. Now, I want you to notice that she doesn't look that into it. <laughs> and then this next slide, this is, this is all on the ad. The dude is into it, right? Look at him. But he's not picking up on her body language like, really? Can I have some wine now? She's thinking, you know. And then when it's all done, they tell you what to do with this. You put it up on the wall. Now, if it were me, I would just buy it on Wayfair rather than <laughs> building this thing. But I know how many of you, uh, I have grandkids that love Legos. I know once you build something, you really want it to stay there, right? And so you put it in a place, you know, you put it up on a shelf or on the top of your chest of drawers. And if you've got a cool mom, she hangs it on a wall in the kitchen or something, you know. Look, we have the Lego art world map as decor in our house. Because you don't want your little brother or sister messing with it, taking it apart. You want people to leave it alone. You don't want people to mess with it because you prize it and you value it. You honor it. That's what it means to honor your parents. Now, obeying and honoring are both super important, and they're paired in a way, even though they're different ideas, they're paired in a way that they must go together. It doesn't really work unless they are put together. And I want to I give you an example from my real life, perhaps yours, of how those two come together. How many of you, it is your job at home to take out the trash? A lot of husbands just raise their hand. Okay, this is going to apply to you too. If you're, if you're a kid, though, if you're a child, no matter what age, if this is your duty, you're told to take out the trash. Mom says, hey, take out the trash, only you're watching TV. Maybe you're watching the Avengers. And so you ignore her. And then a little while, a couple minutes later, mom yells from the kitchen, hey, take out the trash. And you say, hey, mom, I will. But then you just turn back and start watching television. And then mom comes in the room. And maybe she has a spoon in her hand <laughs> because she's been stirring something in a bowl. And you see that spoon and you're like, that's not a weapon yet. It's like she's been doing something with it. But you could see the potential in that spoon becoming a weapon. But in spite of that, you look back at the TV. And then you feel your mom's presence move towards you. And the spoon has turned into a life-threatening weapon, right? And in fact, she's drawn it back for a home run swing at you. And that's when you jump up and go get the trash. Does this sound familiar, anybody? Now, you get the trash bag, and you have it in your hand, and your mom is watching you with a, with a spoon in her hand still, and you kind of give her a despairing look, and you mumble unto your breath, um, you know, this isn't fair. 
I don't have time to do this. I'm super busy. And right about then, as you're taking the trash and mumbling under your breath, the cat walks in front of you, and you kick the cat. And then you go through the back door to go over to the trash cans, which are usually on the side of the house, right? And you either just leave that door open or you slam it shut. And then the dog goes by you and you kick the dog. And then when you get over to the trash can, you lift the lid and you yank the bag so hard, half the trash falls out the bottom and you just slam the bag in there and leave all the trash on the side of the house. Did you obey? Well, sort of. You did what you were told, right? But did you honor? What does it mean to honor and obey? It means, I'm going to make this really simple, this fireman-level training today, okay? Do the right thing with the right attitude. By the way, the Bible teaches us to obey and honor authority in general. This isn't just for kids or little kids. It's for everybody. Um, this is about us developing as human beings in a way that enables us to flourish in the way that God has designed. And the home is the first environment where we start to experience and have opportunity to follow authority and bring honor to that relationship. And it's also the first place we usually start to experience conflict in that because we're human beings. Now, quickly, this idea of honoring and obeying parents comes with a condition and a promise. Condition first, obedience and honor go to God first. The biblical mandate of responding to authority in our life is conditional based on other values in the Bible. That condition is based on the assumption that the authority over you is not requiring you to do something that's wrong or against God's word. It's like a contract in a way, that if the conditions of the contract are violated, it makes the contract null and void. Let me show you where this is in the scripture in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then in the Colossians passage, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So the conditions here are described as in the Lord, which is in keeping with God's word and the teachings of Jesus, and what is pleasing to God. In other words, the thing that you're, you're doing is going to be pleasing to God. So God trumps human authority. That's the boundary of human authority in our lives. So it doesn't apply if a parent or any authority demands that you do something that violates Scripture. So I want to be clear here, because authority has been abused in churches, certainly in homes, and in our society as well. God does not ask anybody to do something that it's against His Word, that, that would hurt you, or would hurt someone else. But let's be honest. Is that mainly what we're dealing with? I don't think so. I mean, have your parents asked you to rob a bank lately? Anything like that? Most of the conflict we have in life, particularly with our parents, is um, it's just like regular, everyday stuff. And that's why I think Paul added in Colossians 3.20 that we're to obey 
and honor in everything. Now, you might be thinking, that's such a ripoff for a, parent, for a kid, that i got to do everything. But there's also a promise that comes with that. And it's this, that responding to authority will enable you to flourish in life. Will enable you to flourish in life. Look at what Paul says again. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on earth. This isn't, that something, this isn't something that the Apostle Paul just made up on the fly. He's actually referencing the earliest covenant that God had with the children of Israel, the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord is giving you. So as God sets up this new society with his people, the Israelites, he lays out his covenant. This, these are the rules. This is the way to flourish in this new way of living. And one of those rules is structural to society. They all are in a sense, but this is saying that relationship that, that God wants to show to the world through the home involves honor and obeying in that home by children to their parents, and it has a blessing that goes with it. So what do you want from your life? What are you hoping your life will be like tomorrow, next week, a month from now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, responding to, following, and honoring authority in your life will be a real difference maker. And the sooner you learn this, the better your life will be. That's what the Bible says. So trust it. And I know that can be really hard, especially at a period in your life where you're, you feel like you're growing up and you're in conflict with your parents. It was really hard for me. You know, I wasn't raised in church. I know that's hard for you to believe, as devout as you find me. I didn't even believe in God until 10th grade. And I fought with every authority. I fought with my parents. I fought with my coaches. I fought with my teachers. I used to cuss my dad out. Uh, I would give him certain signs to show my displeasure, <clears throat> and I actually lived through that. In ninth grade, I cussed out my PE teacher, and he choked me out right in front of the class. You could do that back then. <laughs> and I was humiliated, and I was crying, and Coach Menace said, because I, when I came to, sobbing in front of all the other boys in my ninth grade gym class, uh, I started telling him that my dad was going to come and, do, and like, cause bodily harm to him. And he said, that's fine, bring your dad down here and I'll choke him out too. <laughs> so, no, maybe I shouldn't do this. All I'm saying is I had no respect for authority and I was a real punk. But when I became a Christian in 10th grade, that was one thing that happened. And then I went to my first church camp. And you know, someone paid for me to go to that church camp. I wasn't a church person. I wasn't gonna go to church camp with a bunch of church nerds, and a man took me aside, Julian Gunther, giant man that played Division I football, used to hand out peppermint uh, candies to everybody, so that was worth talking to him for nothing else, and um, he grabbed me and my buddy Trotter and said, hey, 
I want you guys to go to summer camp with the church, and I'm going to pay. And by the way, you have an opportunity to help some of our high schoolers go because uh, out in the hallway, there is a camp jar, and Teddy will be out there, right? Teddy, where are you? She's going to be out there. If you want to help a kid go to camp, you can become part of that. It made a major difference in my life. <clears throat> Here's a picture of me at the camp that I work. I, um, I'm the good-looking guy, but um, this is not in 10th grade, by the way. This is either my senior year or uh, my freshman year in college. I went to that camp, and eventually this crew, uh, uh, we, we worked at the camp. And the man in the middle in the brown, that's Jim White. He just passed away. He was my high school pastor. The man um, on my right, Frank Pardue, uh, was a high school friend. He died in his mid-40s of an emb uh, a brain embolism. Um, he died, um, so he's gone. My youth pastor's gone. And then that's next to my youth pastor to his left is Mark Trotter. I tell you guys stories about Trotter. He just passed away a year ago of cancer. So now it's just me and Harv, and Harv's the good-looking guy on the right. Um, he signed with the Phillies out of high school, and I, he took my girlfriend a couple of times, too. <laughs> but that's, that's us at Shady Grove Youth Camp uh, near Leesburg, Florida. So along with the passages of Scripture that my high school pastor taught me, um, he taught us some other things. I just call them like Jim Whiteisms, and um, because like I had the Bible stuff in my head, but I was trying to figure out how do I do this. There was all this tension inside of me, and he shared like three ideas uh, among others that I'm going to share with you today, and I hope this helps you. Number one, he used to say, "God uses authority to shape your character." So the way he would explain it was, we were like a diamond in the rough. And then there was a chisel and a hammer, mom and dad, that were chipping off the rough edges. And God was the arms. So that's a picture that it did something to me. It helped me understand those times when it felt like parts of me were being chipped off. Second thing he talked about is he, he reminded us often that you didn't choose your parents, God did. Why that matters is, you know, you think about of all the things that you get to choose in life, even things that we don't think we have choice over, we still have a lot of choice over. One of the things you had absolutely no, no choice in is who your parents are. And that's true if you're adopted as well. So God sovereignly chose the parents you have for you. That's the theology of it. I know they're not perfect. They're human beings too. But there's a reason why God put you together. So think about that the next time you're thinking and you wish you could trade your parents in for someone else's parents. And then the last thing that I want to point out that he said is he said you should earn your independence instead of demanding it. This was, this was mind-boggling to me. It changed everything for me because as I told you, I was constantly in conflict with authority. And um, I just want to say to all of you who are in adolescent years, even college, the goal in your parents' life isn't to be your boss forever. Um, they want you to grow up, to be independent, to make decisions on your own. 
and to take care of yourself. I don't know about you, but in that period, I despised my parents' power over me. And I used to say things like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm an adult. And a minute later, I'd say, can I have 20 bucks, Dad? <laughs> when, when I started thinking about that I can earn my independence, not demand it, it totally changed my perspective because I found that the more I responded to my parents' leadership, the more leeway they gave me. The more I was responsible about making my curfew, the later my curfew got, eventually I didn't even have a curfew. So I hope that that helped you guys for all the kids in the room. But now I want to turn and I want to talk to parents. How many of you are parents today? Okay, the majority of you. I want to say from the very beginning that parenting is not a formula with guaranteed results. Sometimes when, when we do Bible teaching on parenting, it just seems like, well, these are all the automatics. Human beings have free will. And remember, the first human beings were raised in a, a really nice neighborhood called the Garden. They had perfect parents, God the Father and the Holy Spirit overseeing them. They had this total spiritual environment. And what happened? So the idea that every parent can predict or impose a certain outcome with their children. It's not biblical, and it's certainly not uh, data-driven. Human beings have free will. God has chosen not to take that away from us, and so, so much of Bible teaching, I hope I'm not doing this, it's like it creates shame in parents when our, when our kids aren't perfect. And I'm just like telling you that your kids have free will. And you may be surprised that the Bible assumes a lot of things about us as parents with our children. It assumes that we're going to love our kids and that we'll protect them and that we'll provide for them. So again, none of that is zeroed out by looking at this passage, but we're just going to look right at the same passage from a different perspective. What is the parent's role in this? Well, the first should be obvious. If children are to obey and honor, then parents, number one, should teach your children to obey and honor authority. Now, when I say teach, I mean this is intentional. We talked last week about faith in a family, and we have to be very intentional about this. It's about them learning something on purpose because we were intentional about teaching that. It's about helping them master skills, about thinking through things, about deciding for faith. I know you get all that, and you want that as a parent, but here's the hard part. Teaching them involves training and instruction. Ephesians 6.4, we looked at this. Well, we're expanding on this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So the instruction of the Lord is the teaching part. That's the education. We talked a lot about that last week. The train part. The train here is another word for discipline, which means correction. And if you put it together, 
Paul is saying that we're to teach our children and hold them accountable through discipline. In other words, parents are to teach their children how to live and then hold them accountable to living that way. I feel really sorry for parents, especially young parents today, because discipline in the home is looked down on. We've gotten all freaked out about that, and it's just one man's opinion. I think we just have multiple generations that are raising kids now that we, we didn't receive discipline, and now we're raising kids without knowledge of how to bring discipline, loving discipline in our homes. And we're reaping the results. There was a study done by Dr. Eric Sigmund uh, uh, of the Royal Society of Medicine in the UK. And in, that, in his research, he detailed the alarming rates of child depression, teenage pregnancy, obesity, violent crimes by adolescents, and more. And in Sigmund's research, he found that even nursery-age children are becoming increasingly violent and disrespectful for, toward their teachers with parent battering on the rise and police officers being attacked by children, soaring. And his research pointed to one primary cause for all of it, a generational lack of respect for authority. And he cites in his research how our attempts in our culture today to empower children coupled with a lack of discipline, have led to rising levels of violence at home, in schools, and in the street. Now, I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but I didn't need a study to tell me that that is happening. And there's a lot of confusion about this, this concept of disciplining our children that's going on today. I hear things like, well, I just love, if I just love my kids, they won't need discipline. That is not true. Disciplining children is discipling them. It's the same root word. You know that God loves you, right? And does God discipline you? Of course he does. There's another misconception that goes with the first, that disciplining a child is mean or unloving. And somehow in, in, in our culture today, parents have gotten the mindset that love and discipline don't go together. So they don't discipline they talk, they warn, they nag, but they don't discipline. And that is not loving your child, parent. It's actually abandoning your child and abdicating your role and forsaking your responsibility. Proverbs, remember the wise book? Proverbs 13, 24, a refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. That's from the message. If you love your child, you will discipline your child in love, not in anger, not in frustration, or in any way that's abusive, that wouldn't be loving, but you will discipline them. By the way, as I mentioned, this is what the Bible says God does for us. Hebrews 12, 6 says that our heavenly Father disciplines those he loves. So when do I discipline? Discipline is called for whenever willful obedience is expressed against your authority as a parent. Isn't that when God disciplines us? This is such an important thing for us to nail down, so we have to get this down. Discipline can, it's not meant to be used for childish irresponsibility, but for willful disobedience. And there's a difference. 
Don't confuse one with the other. Don't confuse childishness with rebellion, and don't confuse rebellion for childishness. Childishness is things, it's, it's stuff like they leave their bike out in the rain, they forget a chore, they spill their drink. But there's a difference between making a mistake and a choice. I think, like, I've gone through this with all my kids and now my grandkids, running by the pool. So what do you say when your kids are running by the pool? Stop running. Walk. But they have so much energy, they can't, they can't help themselves. I'm just picturing the last time my, my granddaughters were here from Fresno, and we're at the pool, and they just like, they're so filled with energy and happiness at the pool. And so they start running, and he's like, hey, don't run. And then they stop, and they kind of speed walk. You know that speed walk? There's like... And then, like, if you just watch them, pretty soon they just pick up pace and start running again. And you say, hey, stop running. Stop running. And they slow down again, and you just keep saying that over and over again. That's just childish irresponsibility. They can't help themselves. But sometimes you tell your child to stop running by the pool, and they just ignore you. They blow you off. Or um, worse, maybe they just turn and give you a stare and then take off running again. Or worse than that, they tell you to shut up. Ooh, man, you guys are like, like, that created a ripple, like, ooh. (laughs) When that happens, that's not a mistake. That's a choice. And if you're a parent, you have to meet that challenge head on. Because willful disobedience is rebellion. It's when you tell your child to do something and they look you in the eye and they say no. And in that battle of the wills, you have to win. Now, what are you saying, Britt? I just yank them and start pounding them? I'm not saying that. We spanked in our house. Um, I would just say, if you're a parent, I know like spanking's unpopular. I'm not advocating for spanking or against. There's, you have all kinds of tools in your toolbox uh, to bring a sufficient amount of pain. To Sorry, kids, that you're in here and you're, you're hearing the secret stuff. Um, You have so many ways to implement that, but you have to meet that challenge, parents. Proverbs 23, 13 says, don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment will not kill them. Don't tell them that part. Physical discipline may well save them from death because children like us are sinners. And in our sinful nature, we need help in understanding that we should respond to authority. Because in our mind, we're all kings and queens of the universe, right? If you don't know how to do that, get some help. You have a lot of parents in this room. Many of you have parents that you can tap into as a resource. And by the way, we all need help with this. None of us are experts, and every, every child we, that comes into our household, they're all different, right? They're all wired differently. There are so many great resources available to you right now, 75,000 of them. So this should be really easy. On the back of your note sheet, I put a couple of resources. Of, uh, I'm still an advocate in spite of some of the political controversies uh, that come from um, Jim Dobson. His Dare to Discipline and the Strong-Willed Child are still just epic 
books. Second thing, um, as parents, we need to be worthy of obedience and honor. Uh, Ephesians 6.4, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And then in Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And scholars say that this is definitely a male term, but it can be used interchangeably to describe both parents. I think it's important for both parents to think about their role in um, being worthy of bringing obedience and honor to their children. And I realize when I use that word worthy, it has a lot of baggage with it. This is not about being a perfect parent. That's not what it's saying. It's just saying you, we earn our respect from our kids. Being worthy is demonstrated in Paul's words here. He says, don't exasperate them, which means to enrage them or provoke them to anger. Don't embitter them, which means make them so angry they don't respect you anymore. Or don't let them become discouraged, which means you just ride them so hard they become disheartened and spiritless. All of these are the exact opposite of what we're trying to accomplish. Now, I can tell you that if you discipline your children, they will get exasperated with you. But the point here um, is not to be the actual source of that frustration. Because we can do things to our kids that the appropriate result is exasperation for them, right? So we don't want to do that. So as we wrap up, I just want to think about, I mean, there's a laundry list of ways that we can exasperate and embitter our children. There's so many different ways. I can't list them all, but I want the band to come up while I just blast through this. Children are exasperated when they're disciplined out of anger. You know, we can habituate our children to only responding to our anger. My story about taking out the trash, that is so vivid in my mind because I've parented that way so, so often. It's like your parents, your kids don't really think you mean it until you're angry, right? So that, that means that we're, we're, we're disciplining them out of our own frustration. We can exasperate our children when it's unclear who's in charge. Mom and dad, you need to be on the same page or you will exasperate your children. Your kids will try to divide you constantly. And uh, that's when you need to close the bedroom door, have a huddle, and come out with a play, a plan to work together. Because they, they know who to go to. And uh, you got you to bring a united front. We exasperate our children when uh, parents put kids before their marriage. I've heard people say this. My kids come first. My spouse understands that. No, they don't. In fact... One of the things you're going to have to grapple with, especially if you're a parent of young children, is how you're going to keep your children from messing up your marriage. That's the truth. So they do not come first. Parenting is a, it's a window of time in your life. And we said that marriage is for a lifetime, right? So you're going to do most of your life without your kids at home. At least that's the plan, right? <laughs> so make sure that your marriage is the strongest relationship we exasperate our kids when they, when they hear, do what I say, not what I do. Okay, confession there. But how do we respond to authority? Ourselves. Are we expecting our kids to respond to our authority? But what do they hear from us about the authority in our life? What do they hear us saying about our boss or police officers or the current president or our pastor? 
for that matter? And then how do, we, how do they see us responding to God? And then we frustrate our kids when they're disciplined without nurture. Kids need both. And, you know, on some days it's hard to discipline, on other days it's hard to love. But we got, those two have to be together all the time because we don't want to crush their hearts. Uh, Dobson says this, shape the will without breaking the spirit. And that's, that's what we're trying to do as parents, to create kids that respond to authority appropriately. In our homes, we know that that home life is like the first place where our kids learn how to flourish. And the truth is, we're in a partnership in our home. You're in a partnership with your husband or wife. You're in a partnership in bringing faith into your home. And you're in a partnership to bring your kids to a place in their lives where they honor and respect authority. It goes both ways. And whether you're a child, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, uncle, or you just have kids in your life or students in your life, we're all in this together. And God is transforming us through those relationships. And in the home, it's not one you can get out of. It's like the tumbling, the rock tumbler. It's just We keep going around and around in there and God keeps polishing us and turning us in to what he wants for us. That goes for our kids and it goes for us as parents. And we gotta be all in, all in with all of our hearts and all of God and all of us together. Let's stand and worship. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.